Logan and the worship team, as always, for helping us sing and celebrate the gospel, all that Jesus is for us. Um, these precious things that, that we need to hold on to. We revisit each, each week. Hope you will join me now in the Bible, in Paul's letter to the Romans and the eighth chapter, Romans chapter 8. Find the page number of the pew, uh, in the Pew Bible uh, in the order of service in the worship folder as well as an outline on the back there to help you follow along. If you were with us last week, uh, at the end of chapter 7, we considered the limits of the law. And of course, we were talking about God's law, uh, His commands in the Bible, but you can see the limits of the law in all kinds of issues. I mentioned abortion in that sermon last week, but consider the issue of race, racism. You know, you were in history class, slavery in the U.S. ended with President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Um, you know, that's simplification, but you know, by the end of the Civil War, uh, that did some real good for millions of people. But another century later, and our nation was still wrestling over civil rights. And a lot of conversation about race these days seems to be between those who focus on how much better things are now compared with the 1960s and the 1860s, and those who focus on how much better things should be by now, it would seem. Whichever side you fall on, that my point really is this. The law might be good. It, it, it might offer certain protections for people, but the law itself can't create unity. There are limits to the law. Or think the law can punish murder. That's good. I'm glad we have that law. But the law can't make people love each other. That's at the level of society. Think about the limits of the law when it comes to your own personal transformation. Romans chapter 7, Paul said, God's law is good. It's holy. It's righteous. But it's not enough to save you from your sin, to make you the godly person that he wants you to be. God's law tells us what is right and what is wrong, but it only ends up condemning us, leaving us in a losing battle with temptation as it stirs up our desires to do what is wrong rather than helping us to do what is right. That's pretty much where we left off last week with just a glimmer of hope in the gospel at the very end of chapter 7. The message today, the beginning of chapter 8, is summed up like this. Leave the old way of the law to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. This is not just a, an explanation of two different ways. This is a call, an invitation, a, a, a warning. Don't stay where you are. A, a, a welcome into a new way that is life. Leave the old way of the law to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. And what I've been praying for in as I've been preparing this sermon this week, is that if you are here and you feel trapped or you feel defeated, discouraged in, in fighting sin, you'll see that there's a better way to live a God-honoring life. And we're going to see three characteristics of that way. You can see those in the outline there. There's, there's freedom, there's focus, and there's flourishing. So let's start with that, that first part, freedom. You are now released from the law to live righteously by the Spirit. Talking to believers, talking to Christians, 
those who know Christ by faith, you are now released from the law to live righteously by the Spirit. So we're going to be in the first four verses of chapter 8 for this point. But to really get a feel for it, you know, to get the momentum we need, let's go back and read some of those difficult verses in chapter uh, 7. I'm going to start with verse 13 of chapter 7. Romans seven thirteen, and Paul is referring to the law, God's law. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son, In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what Christian doesn't love the beginning of Romans 8? There is therefore now no condemnation to those for those who are in Christ Jesus. You probably know that verse, but I wonder if you get it. I mean, I have to admit, if, I, if you said, hey, Romans 8.1, I, I, I could have quoted that verse. Yeah, Romans 8.1, I know that. Uh, and, and if you then asked me to explain it, I, I wasn't reading the passage, I wasn't looking at the context, I probably would, oh, okay, no condemnation. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that relates to the final judgment. We are now secure, now, no, no, we are now secure in that since Christ has died for our sins. That's all true, but I don't think that's the condemnation he's talking about here. Because what does the next verse say? For, or because, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what's the freedom he's talking about? It's not the freedom from the penalty of sin, which settles our final judgment, our eternal destiny, This is freedom from sin's power over us in the present. There is now 
no condemnation, which is in contrast with that whole experience he described at the end of chapter 7 that you and I can probably easily identify with, that experience of being locked in a losing battle with sin. Let's say addiction to alcohol, or, or maybe it's just you know, spending too much time online. I don't know. If, if all we have to work with is the law to try to improve our lives, to try to do the right thing, to try to get better, you know, we, we look at the Bible, the Bible says, don't get drunk. Okay, or the Bible says, don't be lazy. Well, here you go. The law plus my willpower is not enough to change my behavior. We talked about that last week. The law tells me what I should do, and I want to do what's right, but the law ends up stirring up sin in me, and I keep doing what I don't want to do, so the law ends up only condemning me when I fail. Have you felt that condemnation? Now, this is, what we're talking about here is a very specific kind of common condemnation that comes as we repeatedly fail and fall into sin. So, I'm not talking about uh, some sort of perceived condemnation on superficial issues that come up all the time in our celebrity culture and on uh, media, social, and otherwise. And, you know, the things like, well, I, I feel condemned because I don't have the body of a swimsuit model, or I feel ashamed because my house looks like it should be on an episode of Fixer Upper, like the before house. Uh, I, I feel condemned and I feel ashamed. Uh, folks, those are unrealistic expectations based on an unfair standard. We're not talking about that kind of condemnation. That's bogus condemnation, unnecessary shame, and I agree with your therapist. Let it go. This, this is talking about the righteous standard of God's law by which we know not only what sin is, but we know how far short we've fallen. And we see then our real guilt, our real shame, our real condemnation. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news for you? If you are in Christ, God has set you free, verse 2, by His Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation. How? Well, just, just appreciate the, the beauty of our triune God with me. Verse 3, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son. So God we're referring to there is the Father because He's sending His own Son. God has done what the law could not do by sending His own Son, God the Father, sending God the Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. We said that earlier. Fully human, yet, Hebrews 4.15 says, yet without sin. And He comes, this verse says, and he, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now, that, you could run by that really quickly, but that, is a, that expression is a, is a biblical way of communicating as he came for sin, as a, an atoning sacrifice. He, he, and in so doing, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, do you see what's going on here? Because we have now no condemnation for our sin and failure, because sin itself was condemned at the cross. And why did he do that? Well, it's right there in, in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, so Father, Son, sends the Son, and now in the Spirit, we are able to be all that He means us to be. Father, Son, Spirit, together, a symphony of redemption. But think about that purpose statement some more. You see the, the purpose in verse 4, in order that. Why did, why did the Father send the Son? Why did the Son go to the cross? To condemn sin, yes. Okay, but why, why that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So even though, as Paul's been telling us, even though the law can't save us, can't change us, can't renew us, God still wants the righteous life that the law pointed to. He wants that in you. He wants that in me. And Paul's been saying this all kinds of ways since Romans chapter 6. Grace does not mean we get to keep on sinning. Forgiveness doesn't mean lawlessness. Freedom doesn't mean you and I just can do whatever we want. We've been set free from the law of sin and death to serve God, to live for Him. Folks, you and I were created to behold and display the glory of God, to to mirror and to magnify His magnificence. That's what we were created for. And in so doing, we maximize the glory that we were created for. That, that's, and we do that not just when we come to church on Sunday and sing some praise songs. We do that when we prepare a meal or change a diaper or change a tire, change out the oil filter. That when you go to work and you're, uh, you're typing on the computer or maybe you're serving food. You do that when you serving your family, and when you do your job, when you volunteer in the community, you're, you, when you take care of a neighbor, we're mirroring and magnifying His magnificence. That's what we were created for. And this is just the beginning. We're created for this for now and for here and for now and for eternity. Grace then does not say, like the therapist I talked about earlier, grace in this situation does not say, hey, you don't have to measure up to some unrealistic standard that the Bible has for you. That's not grace. Grace says the law is right and holy and good, and you can't be good enough on your own. Grace says, I forgive you for your failings, and I am going to come alongside you and within you to give you the strength and the power to be more and more like the person that I made you to be. That's what grace says. After all the ways that God's people fell short in the Old Testament, all the ways that they showed us, if you read the stories, the the law was not enough to make a holy people. God promised to rescue them and redeem them, not merely to forgive their sins, but to transform them. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I referenced a few Sundays ago, the, the new covenant in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. Here's a very similar passage in Ezekiel 36. And I will give, this is God speaking to his people who have just failed and failed and failed. He says, and I will give you someday a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, this cold, hard, stony heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh 
warm and beating, and I will put my spirit within you, and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's not, he's not given up on the idea of their walking with him in obedience. He's going to give them a new heart and a new spirit to be able to do that. Do you want that promise that God gave to his people through Ezekiel to be fulfilled in your life? That is, a, to, for you to have a new heart a new spirit because God's spirit is in you to help you live the life that, that he wants you to live, the, the life that you know is right, to know that he can make it possible for you to walk in that way. Well, here, if, if you are one with Christ through faith, that is your reality. That is uh, the place that you stand. Look back with me again to uh, chapter 7 in Romans, chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. I told you, I believe, last week that this is something of a, uh, this short paragraph really sets the direction for the end of chapter 7 and then this early part of chapter 8. So this is, this is stuff we need to go back to as the, here, this is where we're going in this conversation. So verse 4 of chapter 7, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So, through faith and our union with, with Christ and His death and resurrection, so that you be, may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the, living, or of the written code. So the rest of 7, again, was that old way of the written code. In chapter 8, we're now talking about the new way of the Spirit. This is what it's all about. This is the fulfillment of that new covenant promise in Ezekiel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because you are released from the law to live righteously by the Spirit. Now, that's, that's the freedom that we have that's, that, that characterizes this new way, new way to serve God by the Spirit. The next part uh, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 8. So um, we already started verse 4, but really by the end when it gets talking about the Spirit, that's going to take us into the next section. So verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, who? Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is part two. Focus. You are now able to please God as you fix on and follow after the Spirit. First part was about the freedom that we have in this new way of the Spirit. This is about a particular focus. You are now able to please God as you fix on and follow after the Spirit. Now, two things stick out in this section, the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, and various ways that he talks about setting the mind, set their minds, or to set the mind on something. So, 
Let's start with that flesh and spirit. Paul, as you read his letters in the scriptures, uh, sometimes he'll use the word flesh, just very literally, you know, skin, muscle, tissue, uh, flesh, and bone kind of thing. Um, But when he puts flesh in contrast with the spirit, like he does in a passage uh, like this, he's not talking about the physical body as opposed or versus our immaterial soul or spirit. Flesh can also be used uh, in the text to refer to uh, our human strength or our human ability as opposed to God. In that way, it also carries the idea of frailty, of weakness, of mortality, mere flesh, susceptible to death and decay and to sin. Here, the flesh, again, being contrasted not with our human spirit, but with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And when it comes to our efforts to live for God, to serve and obey Him, we must not walk according to the flesh, our strength, apart from God, but according to the Spirit. That's the new way of serving God. It's the only way to to effectively, successfully obey God, to live for Him. How do we do this? Well, now we get to all that stuff about setting your mind and what that has to do with. So don't, don't get the idea that, okay, setting my mind on something, this is, this is just about kind of closing your eyes, uh, thinking about the Holy Spirit, maybe throw it in a mantra, you know, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come. Until, until apparently you have some kind of spiritual breakthrough or a moment of ecstasy, R- remember all this about setting your mind, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7, comes after Paul has talked, the end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5, about walking according to the Spirit and the same idea, living according to the Spirit. So, important, this is not just about uh, sitting alone still in, in the darkness of your room and, and just fixating on the Spirit. This is about life. This is about thinking and also about doing. But we might not be clear about what the connection is. See, we might expect Paul to say, um, those who walk according to the Spirit have previously set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He doesn't say that, although I think that's the basic idea. The reason I think it's not in the past tense, because you you set your minds on the things of the Spirit and now you're walking. The reason why it's not you had set your mind uh, is because you have to keep it there. You have to set your mind on the Spirit as in an, in an ongoing way. Uh, some of you know that my dad was a pastor for his uh, adult life in ministry for 45 years until he retired uh, some five years ago. He and my mom will be visiting in a couple of weeks for Jack's graduation. I hope you'll get to meet them. But I grew up then as a kid, so I grew up listening to my dad preach. And a sermon illustration of his that I remember the most was from his days growing up on a hog farm in northwest Ohio. And he telling how his dad taught him how to drive a tractor, obviously pre-GPS, you know, satellite-driven tractors. Um, So my grandpa, and, and this is northwest Ohio, so this is flat, not, not like around here, it's flat. And, and, he, and my grandpa would tell my dad as a young man to find a, find a tree, find a fence post on the other side of the field, 
And you got to set your mind on it, so to speak. You got to fix your eyes on that. And you got to, you have to keep it there as you cross the field. Right? You understand this. This is very simple. It's how to keep your line straight. Some of you are mowing your lawn like this way. Like, I got I want my lines to be straight. Now, the, I think that's the idea of setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, verse 5, or to set the mind on the Spirit, verse 6. You have to set your mind on Him, keep your eyes on Him, to, in order to keep going as you should, to stay on the line. The bigger issue is about how we will serve God. So this is, again, this is not detached. This setting your mind on the Spirit is not detached from loving God, serving God, obeying God. No, this is, this is how you do it. So this is connected to life. This is connected to service. This is connected to your discipleship. So this is about, uh, do, do we try to obey in our own strength, guided simply by the law, the law, verse 3, the law weakened by the flesh can't help you. Fixating on your sinful desires of the flesh will wreck you. This is about fixing your attention on God the Spirit, what He wants, what He produces, so that you are living according to the Spirit, following His lead, and your rows are straight all the way. Paul teaches much the same thing in uh, passages that you may be more familiar with um, from Galatians 5. And I'm going to read a, a longer passage from there this morning than I usually uh, do in, in a cross-reference, but if you want to join me, I'm going to be in Galatians 5 here for a bit. Uh, Galatians 5, beginning with verse 16. If you're turning there, you're going past Romans, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians. There you are. Galatians 5. Where Paul says, verse 16, I'm still here in pages, so I'm going to just pause, take a pause. There you go. All right. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Doesn't that sound like Romans 7? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember, he said, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. The law is not your guide anymore, but you're still seeking to obey the law and all these things, right? And, and against such of these things, there, there's no law. There's no law against love, peace, patience. No, of course not. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
So do you see why Paul says in Romans 8, 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's a pretty big difference. And that peace that he has in mind is, is again, not some sort of inner calm, personal tranquility, stress-free life. He says, because the very next verse, in verse 7, the opposite is being hostile to God. That's, that's the opposite of peace here. So you can, there's life and peace when you're, when you're following the Spirit. Of course, you're, when you're, you're walking with, you're, you're, your mind is fixed on, on that, that person that you're in a relationship with, you're, you're together. You're arm in arm. You're walking the same path. When, when you, if you're against him, you're with the flesh, of course, you're, there's hostility. There's not peace. The one set on the flesh is hostile to God. He does not, he cannot submit to God, cannot please God. As, as sobering and, and as horrifying as that should be to think of someone who just utterly is unable to obey, unable to please God, doesn't it also excite you with the, the possibilities that if we are relying on the Spirit, we can come to a place where, yes, we can submit to God's law. Yes, we can please God. Not, but remember all that we're talking about here. If you try to please God through the law, like, oh, God, if I just do, I'm, surely if I just do this one more thing that you told me to do, then you will be pleased. Uh, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's going to have to be some more. And you keep going. That's, that's no way to live. That's the old way of the law. But the way of the Spirit, where you're, you're not trying to, to tick the boxes, you're just trying to walk with Him and follow Him and be with Him. And that's the way you can and do and will please God. You will please Him. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You please Him as you walk with Him. Isn't that where you want to live? To have a, a instead of uh, being under condemnation for the, uh, of the law, for your disobedience, a prisoner of war in the battle that rages within you to a completely different attitude on your part, submission, completely different disposition from God. He's pleased with you. That's where we want to live. So set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Start your day in God's Word. This is the, this is the Word that, that He has breathed out by His Spirit. It's the, it's the word that, he, that the Spirit illumines, gives light to as you, as you seek to, let, let, me fix, let me reset my mind for the day. Maybe for you, it, it, if this is a new habit for you, just get a verse or just get a, a devotional, like a, a devotional book that can help you, guide you, uh, daily bread or, or the, those new morning mercies that, we, that uh, Logan gave our graduates. But maybe it's a, a verse a day, maybe it's a paragraph a day, a chapter a day. Something to, and, and the whole point is, again, not like the law. Okay, I got to read, read my Bible today. I hope God's pleased. hope God's happy. I, I read my Bible today. No. This morning, I, I, need, to, I need to fix my, my eyes on, on you. I got to reset my, my heart and mind on you, Holy Spirit, so that you can guide me today. 
in, in God's word and in prayer. We're going to talk much more about prayer in the Holy Spirit later in chapter in Romans chapter 8. Or just, but just doing what we're doing right now. Coming to church Sunday by Sunday in a regular way. Listen to he, about how Paul talks about uh, the Spirit in a worship gathering, like the one we're in right now. This is from Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21. He says, And do not, believers, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and in everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, this is a time to, to come together, to, to set your mind once more on the Lord, Father, Son, Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit as you sing, as you give thanks, as you instruct one another, and as you submit and serve and care for one another. Our time together is to help you keep your mind set on the Spirit so that you will then keep in step with the Spirit today and all week long. This new way of serving God by the Spirit is characterized by freedom and by focus and the last part this morning is flourishing. You are now brought to fruit-bearing life through the Spirit living in you. So, verses 9 to 11, back in Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, the most obvious repeated phrase in this, these few verses is the spirit who dwells in you three different times. It's a powerful phrase that that echoes uh, Old Testament themes and plot lines. This should be, this should be ringing bells uh, for us because just as God said, I will dwell with and among my people. Imagine the, the, in the midst of the camp of the Israelites leaving Egypt through Sinai on their way to Canaan, on the way to the promised land, and they're camped and they're set out in their order and in the middle of the camp, in the midst of them dwells God in his tent tabernacle. He says, I'm going to dwell among my people. And here and now, in the, in the glorious gospel era in which we live, the Spirit now dwells in each and every believer. He is within you. That's, a, that's just another reason to live a godly life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body that is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Think also what this means. Setting your mind on the Spirit is not about someone who, you know, trying to fix on, on someone who is distant, remote, elusive, mysterious, yes, but who dwells within you. 
keeping those in mind those verses back in, in chapter 7, verses 4 to 6 that we read, the Spirit is giving you life. It's giving you the ability to obey God. This is so we can bear fruit for God, so we can serve God in the new way. That's the emphasis of this repeated phrase, the Spirit who dwells in you. This is why He's there in you and with you. Now, uh, the Spirit who dwells in you, three times in, in these few verses. But the biggest word in, in this section might be the smallest, if. In is pretty important too. Some of you are going to like, oh, I think in is the most important. Okay, if. If is the other one I'm thinking about here. It's, it's there in each of those three verses. If the Spirit dwells in you, if Christ is in you, it comes down to this. For the person who is struggling with sin, as described in chapter 7, there are two possibilities. You're going to fit into one of these. Either you are a Christian who has trusted Christ to pay for your sins, but now you have settled back into the old way of serving God, and you're, you're trying to live a godly life in your own strength through the law. And how's that working? If that's the case, Paul is calling, he's calling believers like you to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. That's the only way possible. It's the only way that you can, you can submit to God's law. It's the only way you can please God. But of course, you can't do that if the Spirit of God is not in you. See, the other possibility, if, you're, if you fit that chapter 7 profile, the other possibility is not just that you're a genuine believer that is stuck in the old way. It's possible that you have never been set free by Christ through faith in Him. Therefore, you don't have Christ in you. You don't have His Spirit in you. And the second part of verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. As I said earlier, you, you do not submit to God's law because you cannot. Paul said, you cannot please God. Now, that, a lot hinges on that, that word if. But that, that word if is not there to create a nagging doubt in the mind of true believers. What it is there to do is to prevent presumption in the unbeliever. And maybe this day is a day that you need to kind of just take a look in the mirror and, and, or, or recognize, you know, I've, I've been trying to be good in all the wrong ways. I, I may have good intentions about living a, a you know, a respectable life, a, a moral life, but if you're, you're doing it in your own strength and failing, well, here's why. And the point is not to condemn you further. The point is to give you the invitation to come to Jesus today. Because you come to him, and, and not only does he forgive your sins, he gives you his spirit to be within you, to give you the life and the power and the strength to walk with him. Maybe this is the day you need to come to Christ. Put your faith in him. Find forgiveness. Find freedom. Find his family. Die to your old way of life. Be raised to a new one. I said that word if is there to prevent presumption in the unbeliever. And I think it's also there to give confidence to the believer. That might be surprising. That if just sounds so uncertain, right? But it's there to help give confidence to the believer. Turn that first part of verse 9 around. So start with the second part. 
If in fact, well, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's who you are. I remember he talked in chapter 7 about how sin dwells in me. That's the problem. The law can't help me because sin dwells in me. Folks, if the Spirit dwells in you, it doesn't mean that you're sin-free. It doesn't mean you don't struggle anymore. But if you've got the Spirit in you, that's the controlling power in your life. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You are not living in your own strength. You are living in the power of God. Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Your physical body may be weak. It may be frail. It may be susceptible to all kinds of sinful desires and temptations. But Christ in you, the Spirit in you, is life in you. Take it to the bank. And notice, again, the Trinity in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If the Spirit of Him, God the Father, who raised Jesus, God the Son, from the dead dwells in you, He, the Father, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Father, Son, and Spirit together giving life to your mortal bodies. Now, some read this and like, oh, okay, life to your mortal bodies, that, that means our future resurrection. I mean, it's right there in parallel with Jesus' bodily, physical resurrection. And, and technically, this is in the future sense. He will give life, um, not has given life. Except, verse 10 says that the body is dead because of sin. So he's not talking about physical life, physical death. Your body is dead, corruptible. It is corrupted and broken because of sin. So this is not talking about physical death. And the phrase will give life is not in the future tense because it's pointing to some day in the future. It's about the certainty that follows the if. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will count on it, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So believer, if you're sitting there like, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this can really happen. I don't know if this will really work. I mean, you're telling me, you know, to, to just fix on the spirit and follow after him. You're telling me that, you know, all my failures are, uh, they're, a lot of it's, it's coming back to this, that I've been trying to do it in my own strength and just with the law. Folks, do you hear how, how he's pressing it? He, re- he repeats this, raising Jesus from the dead. The same power from the same person who brought the dead to life, Jesus, out of that grave, is the same power from the same person that is right here and is at work in you as you trust Jesus. That's what's going on. So in your battle with sin... You can count on it. That's who's at work in your life if you belong to Jesus. The message for you today is not try harder, it's trust God. And some, some, some of us are, I know, some of us are hearing, oh, trust God harder. No, <laughs> no, no. Trust God means 
you got you to let him do the work. That's not, a, that's not being passive. It means as you go, as you go, you've got to have your mind set on him. As you walk, as you live, as you love, as you serve, as you care, so that he takes you where you're supposed to go. He's the one that's going to make the difference, not you. Trust him. Your redemption is why the Father sent the Son. It's why Jesus Christ died for our sin, so that you could die to your sin. It's about setting your mind on the Spirit so you can keep in step with the Spirit. It's about all that God saved you from and all that He has saved you for. If you are a Christian, the call is to live in that newness of life. It doesn't mean it'll be without struggle. We'll see that in, as we continue through chapter 8. It doesn't mean it'll be like, oh, it used to be a, a struggle when I was just under the law and the flesh. No, it's a different kind of struggle now. But you've got a different power to work with. Leave behind the old way of the law to serve God, to bear fruit for God in the new way of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let's do that together. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need your strength. Father, even, even to believe, even to do all the things that we said, we, we can't even set our mind on you in our strength and then count on your strength later. We're asking just right now, help us. It's, we're so easily distracted, so easily defeated, Our only hope is that you are, by faith, within us already. And would you, like a seed that bursts through the hard crust of earth, be the life that bursts through us? The crusty people that we are. God, give us your life. Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing in response.